Have you ever wondered what goes on behind the table at a dance competition? Exactly what are the judges looking for anyway? This is Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast. Each week, we'll cover a different topic related to the world of competitive dance from the perspective of the judges behind the table. As the 2021 competition season comes to a close, it's time to look ahead to a new year of dance. But 2021 isn't over yet. We've got nationals, choreography camps, and summer intensives to prepare for. And as soon as you know it, the next dance year will be here. Today on Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast, we're giving some helpful advice for dancers to ensure that their summer performances and training will give them a leg up for next season. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Ortiz, and I am, of course, here with my fabulous co-host, Leslie Mueller. Hey, Courtney. Hey, everybody. Y'all, it's June, and that means that season two is over. No! What? (laughs) I'm so bummed. Oh, my gosh. This is our last episode of season two. I can't. I mean, we got here. We got here, y'all. We did. It's been a year. It's been a crazy year to do a season two of anything, but we've had a really great season two, and I can't wait for season three. Oh my gosh. I am so pumped for season three. I'm so bummed that season two is over, but looking back at season two and all of these topics that we covered, like we've said it so many times, and every time we we hit stop on the recording, we're like, oh my gosh, that episode was so good. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that episode was so good. Like every episode we did, I just feel like that season two just kept getting progressively better and better. So like, how are we going to top it in season three? I don't, I, don't I don't know. We've got some pretty good ideas, but that's why we're taking the summer off to to take a break, generate some more ideas, figure out how many part twos and part threes we're going to do, because that's another thing we say all the time after we finish is that, man, we could have probably talked about that for another hour. Yeah. And we will. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure we will. So yeah, thank you to everyone who has listened and supported us from the very beginning or discovered us newly this season. If you haven't listened to season one, there's a whole ton of episodes there for you to listen to as well. And we're going to be prepping and planning. I can't wait to get so many more topics your way on the podcast for season three. So we do have one final, final, final mini episode that Leslie and I will be doing as our wrap up of season two and just kind of give you some scoop as to what's to come. So definitely check that out. But today we're talking about prepping for next season and prepping for nationals because that's next on the agenda at this point. It's June and recital is either has either come and went or you're about to do it maybe this upcoming weekend or next weekend. And after that, you're maybe going to nationals. And if you are, we're going to talk about how you can prep and prepare for that today with two special guests. But before we jump into that, I also would love to mention that this episode topic was selected by our Facebook group, which is so cool. We did a poll on our Facebook group for all of our members, and we asked, what do you want to hear as our final topic of season two? And the options were prepping for next season, student choreography, and chatting with current competition dancers. And you all, all the fans picked this topic. So we're giving it to you today. We're so excited to talk about it. And those other two Second and third place topics are going to go into the brainstorming pile for season three. I'm sure we're going to tackle those. Yeah. And speaking of the Facebook group, if you haven't joined yet, you are missing out. We have so much fun there. As our season two wraps up and we're heading into our summer hiatus and summer break, we're not going to, you know, abandon the Facebook group. We will still be posting and interacting on uh, Making the Impact Dance Competition podcast community. So come and join us. There's going to be more polls, exclusive content great conversations about dance all summer long as we gear up for season three. And um, another thing that we've started doing now that I mean, like we can say things like annual contest because we've we've done them now for so long, but we're going to hold our annual contest uh, to find the faces of our podcast cover art. So stay tuned to see how you can enter that contest. Yeah, that is so much fun. And I can't wait to see who graces the cover art of season three over the summer that's going to be happening. But we've actually got a ton of awesome reviews lately, which is so exciting. And I would love to share one of our reviews that was posted on Apple Podcasts. So if you're a fan and you love what we're doing here at Making the Impact, 
hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you want to tell us how you feel, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We love hearing from the fans and we might even share your review on the air. And this review is coming from Kara Bear 247 And they said, best dance podcast ever. My daughter and I genuinely enjoy all the tips and information these judges share. I have been a competitive dance mom for three seasons and have learned so much. Not going to lie, I would sometimes be left so confused on the lineup at comps, but now I get it, and my dancer knows what to work for. So such a great review and so many more awesome ones from all of you fans. So thank you for sharing. Please go leave your thoughts there. We'd love to hear from you and share more on the pod. And now is my personal favorite time of the podcast when we get to talk about our amazing sponsors. Yay. We have had so many great sponsors over the past two seasons. One of our newer sponsors this season is Work Dancewear. And they offer high-performance fashion for dancers who want to do more and be more in the studio or on the stage. Thanks to fabric that contours to your body, elevated comfort, and a flattering fit, Work Dancewear gives you the empowering edge no matter what. Because when you feel confident in your clothes, you have no choice but to push harder, go further, and shine brighter. So dream big and get moving with Work Dancewear. Visit WorkDancewear.com, that's W-E-R-K, and enter code WORKDANCE20 at checkout to save 20% today. That's work, W-E-R-K, dancewear, 20. All right, y'all, it's time to jump into our final episode of season two. I'm very excited to welcome two IDA judges straight from the roster to the podcast. And the first guest that I would like to introduce and welcome back to the podcast, uh, this judge was on season one. Episode 21, Beyond the Bar, Why Ballet Matters in Competitive Dance. I'm excited to welcome back Miss Holly Gannett to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be back and honored to be invited to return. It was a blast the first time and I look forward to this one as well. Yay. Awesome. Love having you back on the pod. And for all of our listeners, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about you, where you're based, any career credits and what you're up to now. Sure. I am based in central Maine and live here with my family. I am a SUNY Buffalo graduate with a BFA in dance a long time ago. I don't like to share my age (laughs) too often. (laughs) However, I've been teach, I've been adjudicating for over 16 years, 16 plus years. I um, was a dance director at Maine Arts Academy. It's a charter high school of performing arts in Maine, the first of its kind here. And I started the the dance program, created the curriculum from the bottom up. I just left this year because I got a hip replacement. Um, this is this is showing my age, <laughs> but it's one of those things about learning body care, you know, as a dancer, a professional dancer, and um, someone who's been in the business for a long time. And I think taking care of our body is is so important. So I still teach at studios locally and travel and teach as well. But I have tried to slow down a little bit to take care of my body as well. So thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Of course. Yeah. Yes, we're so happy I had forgotten you. about your hip replacement. Are you doing you doing well? <laughs> awesome. I Good. have hopped on the Peloton app and I'm Ooh, cranking. Right on. Good for you. <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Well thank you so much, Holly, for joining us. And I'm Excited to welcome a brand new guest to the podcast and also a brand new judge to the IDA roster this season. I'd love to welcome Rachel Gentry to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and be a part of this discussion today. I love your podcast. I'm an avid listener and I wish I had this when I was growing up in competitive dance. I know, right? (laughs) Amen to that. There's so many resources now, and I think that's, like, why we love to do this is just kind of, like, give back. I mean, we, as judges, all of us, we love giving back to the next generation, but, like, just to be able to sit here and chat dance and go even further than what we can at the judges' table is just, is so cool, and a free resource to dancers around the world. I love that about this, too. So thanks for being a fan. Thanks for being on the roster. Welcome to your first podcast ever. So pumped to have you. (laughs) And tell the world a little bit about you, who you are, where you're based, 
And anything else you'd like to share? All right. So my name is Rachel Gentry, and I currently live in Jacksonville, North Carolina. I just moved here with my husband and my two-and-a-half-year-old son in December, so we haven't been here too long. I grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina, and similar, you know, regular dance story. I started dancing when I was three years old, and I loved it. I was a competition kid, and I decided that dance was my world and my thing, and I ended up going to college for dance. I graduated from Elon University with my Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Dance Performance and Choreography. And it was around my graduation when I had to kind of figure out what was next. And I loved performing, but I really had this passion for teaching and for inspiring the next generation of dancers. I had all this knowledge and everything that I had just learned from from being in school was just like I was ready to give back. So I really dove head first into uh, a career in dance education, working for lots of different studios and teaching lots of different styles, but mainly teaching tap and modern and contemporary and working on competition teams, helping direct teams, clean numbers, see numbers, be choreographed, cleaned, go to competitions, go to nationals, which is cool because that's what we're talking about today. And yeah, I just loved being a part of studios. And I also had the opportunity to be the assistant director of the North Carolina Youth Tap Ensemble for about seven seasons. I was with that company. And those are just kids that are 8 to 18 pre-professional tap dancers that are getting really cool opportunities to train with some of the top names in the tap world today. And then I also was one of the uh, founding members of, not of a charter school, but of helping to develop and build a dance program at a charter school. So I was the elective teacher for middle and high school students. And that was such an enriching experience because I had always been around kids in studios who had grown up dancing and all of a sudden I was teaching all these students who had never danced before and that was really cool and I learned so much and grew so much as an instructor. So I also have adjudicated through the years and love being on the IDA roster currently and just enjoy guest teaching here and there when I can. Yes, awesome. Love it, y'all. Well, thank you so much for joining us and I'm excited to talk about prepping for next season. Let's get into it. I know. Let's jump in because I. it just feels like this year was such a blur in so many ways of just sort of like figuring out different ways to do things. And, and as we continue, even now, like let's continue to figure out new ways of doing things in terms of getting ready for next year where maybe we will have a little bit of normalcy. But I think just like any other year, at this time of year, dancers are either really, really, really excited for the next step, or they are really, really, really burnt out from the whole year. <laughs> I personally am a little burnt out from the whole year. Uh, so I'm curious, how, how are we as educators and uh, teachers keeping dancers motivated and engaged as we come up to recital and nationals and maybe a few weeks of a break, but then choreography you know, sessions come back and summer intensives and everything? That's one of the things that I know as a teacher, it was more right around the holidays this year, working with some of my classes, I noticed sort of this, this burnout or low energy. And I couldn't tell. I mean, here we are all masked in our classes this year and sometimes remote because there might be positive cases in their schools and, you know, all of the different things that we had to navigate through, whether they were Zoom classes, where they were, they were in person and masked, you know, we're still masking. But one day I just sat the kids down. And I said, right now we're not going to dance. We're going to talk about what you need, because this is so much deeper than just dancing and what is going to make you happy because I see you sort of burning out and not as uh, committed, not necessarily committed, but inspired. And a lot of them said, we just want to have fun. We want to have something to work toward. And I feel like we've finally gotten to a place where, you know, our studio has gone to a small number of competitions this year, as opposed to last year. And preparing for a recital where last year we did it in studio and recorded it and that sort of thing where this year we have a recital coming. And I know every studio and competition is going to be a little bit different, but having something to look forward to has been such a bright spot in all of our lives. And I think just looking toward that end result keeps us all motivated, at least in that light. I mean, there's so many other things to look forward to, but especially our seniors and the kids that that know this is, you know, their last year in the studio before they move on to wherever they're going. I think, how do we keep them happy and inspired? And I think giving them something to look forward to has been certainly on the top of my list. 
for sure. I think that if we look back a year ago this time, there was no option to do a recital and there were, you know, national, there were no nationals or nationals were all going virtual. And so I think a way that we can continue to motivate dancers is just to remind them that we get to have a performance this year. Like we get to go and like actually show what we've been working on. Like you were saying, Holly, we get to like come to this moment that we've been working towards that last year was just stripped away. And so I think just reminding them that like, hey, this year you have the opportunity to get on a stage and go to nationals if that's what the studio is doing. And I just think just being thankful for that opportunity, like, hey, it could have, we could still be in this, in the situation we were in last year. And I also think that we need to inspire the dancers to remember that even if we're feeling a little burnt out, especially dancers that might be pursuing professional careers, that if you're in a professional show one day, you have to give your best performance, whether it's your first performance or your last performance. You have to be just as excited to get on stage, whether you're doing the number the first time or you're doing it the 50th time, because the audience wants your best. Like they want your best performance every time, uh, whether that's recital or nationals. So I think just reminding them that even if you're going forward, that as a dancer, like your job is to get on stage and do your best every time. Yeah. And like never taking an opportunity on the stage for granted because you never know when that might get ripped away from you very quickly. I mean, I like as you were saying that, Rachel, and like, you know, speaking in the professional world, like I I'm thinking about all of those Broadway shows that thought that they'd be back to their show in a week and didn't know during that last show that they weren't coming back the next day. Like they didn't find out till the next day and they said, oh, the world's shutting down. You know, right. like when they- Don't come back and get your stuff. <laughs> right, like can't get your stuff. P.S. This was the last show you might be doing for a long time and it's been over a year for those shows. Some shows never even came back. You know, like they closed and that's just, it's so sad. And I think that a lot of, a lot of dancers have realized that, you know, we can't take for granted those opportunities to, to dance for an audience and do what we love and perform and even going to class, you know, being in a classroom with people. I mean, every time I had that opportunity this season, it just felt like as a teacher, just so rewarding. And I felt so lucky that I could not dance in my living room anymore or not teach on Zoom anymore, that I'm in a space with people. And I know that we're, we're slowly progressing forward in a great way with the world and things are slowly coming back to normal. But I think that is important to remember. You never know when you won't be able to get back on that stage. But I'm happy to see so many dancers have this season. I was judging a couple weekends ago and a small crowd could come in and observe, you know, usually two parents per child or something. And I turned around during a break in between numbers and one of the moms got as close to us as she could and she was tearful and she said, I just want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to have my daughter get on that stage and dance again. It just warms my heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And it was just a moment of, okay, we can't take this for granted. You know, it's so easy for us to get burnt out and to get tired. This has been such an exhausting year beyond measure. You know, it's something that none of us have ever experienced to, to see that and to hear that parent just so deeply moved by the opportunity to see her daughter dance again was just everything that we all needed at that very moment too, just to keep us all going. Uh, we, I have a similar situation happens almost every weekend that I've been directing for Spirit of Dance Awards. And as the director, you know, I try and go speak to the studio owners and I'm speaking to people and, and it has been, it has been frankly, just the best experience to, to have this be my first season directing because everyone is so grateful to be there and they are so happy to do whatever it is that they can to make it easier on everybody, even though, you know, we're in, in block scheduling and we're having to wear a mask and this, that and the other. And like everything is so different. But like you said, Holly, everybody is so grateful and people have been tearful and crying and, you know, just expressing all of their gratitude for their kids being able to do this. And and it's been it's been so nice. So, you know, whatever obstacles there were to overcome this year, you know, I think we did it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And it's it's definitely been a it's been a hard one, y'all, but we're here, we made it, and it's it's most likely recital season. And I know that recital obviously comes first before nationals, and I I think at this point, you know, June, we're in June now. I've actually noticed a lot of studios 
are progressively get, doing recitals earlier than, you know, waiting till June. A lot of them are happening in May, towards the end of May, which in my brain is still competition season. Like I think competition season goes until the end of May and then recital season is in June is what I grew up doing. But now it's slightly different. So to the listeners out there, if you haven't had your recital yet, to the dancers out there who are still rehearsing for recital, I think that something that's important to remember, it, or and if you've had a recital, hopefully you felt this, but you know, this these the block scheduling this season, if you had to experience that, was kind of like mini recitals every time you would go on stage at competition. And now this is just like the final shebang. The, the recital is... The final one where you all, there's no pressure anymore. It's not a competition. This is just going to be fun with all of the people that you love, with hopefully an audience full of all of your loved ones or watching virtually and just, you know, enjoy every moment of that and perform your heart out at your recital because you've worked hard this year, whether you've been zooming in or physically in person or wearing a mask. You know, I, I think that walking into this recital with a completely different view like we said at the beginning of this we might you might not have had a recital last season most likely you didn't and there may still be dancers who aren't able to have recitals even this season which is important to remember i'm always just thinking about my canadian dancers who I are know it. Yep. still stuck inside like i know y'all listen yep. i i love you all up there <laughs> up in canada i feel for you but yeah, I think that the recital is probably just going to be just the, the best experience ever this year. And I hope it is for all the dancers. Yeah. I'm curious now that we're still sort of talking about this past year, you know, and maybe not looking ahead so much, but what, what do you think, you know, we talk about obstacles and the, you know, things we all had to go through this dance season. Or is there anything that you've experienced in the dance studio this season that you might take with you next season, even if like the crisis of the world is is gone? Like, is there anything that was actually beneficial in terms of how you changed your tactics? I think for me, I went into any kind of teaching situation, not, not, I guess we're going with like this grateful theme, but I didn't want to take for granted, like any of the time that I had with my kids. So I, I was really intentional about like what I taught, especially like being out of the studio. But I think one thing also I went back in is I was big time about going across the floor because when we were teaching over zoom I especially teaching so much tap I, ta I taught so much tap over <laughs> zoom and I was so grateful for the sound delay to be gone one yeah. and yeah. two <laughs> oh I was gosh. grateful for I was grateful for the space to like do progressions across the floor again so I think that just I don't know if that really answers the question but for me yeah, that just does. made me prioritize like what I really wanted to teach and what I really wanted to work on and what I thought that the students, the students needed. Totally. I can and, agree with oh, you. That sound delay. Mm. <laughs> okay. Yes, I know. Rachel, <laughs> I think with tap, it was probably the most challenging genre of dance to teach because of the sound delay, because of way well, they can't see your feet. And just the number of times you had to angle the screen so to your so feet versus your so face, hard. your body. And, oh, wait, you want to see my arms? Hold on. <laughs> Let me change this angle. So, you know, just making sure that students got that. I think for me, what I learned and that I think will carry, however, I'm not a, a studio owner. I work very closely with the owner of the owners of studios that I teach for and one in particular. And I think one of the things that we have really enjoyed is when students have to be remote or they're out sick for some reason, we have the opportunity for them to zoom in so that they're not missing out. I mean, how many times as teachers do we say, guys, when you're not here, do you know how difficult it is to choreograph or to create this, you know, this formation and understand where these bodies are. But if you miss, make sure you do your homework and get caught up in all of these things. But if you miss, there's also Zoom. And, you know, if you're laying home and not feeling well, at least you can tune in. Or if your family's on vacation and you don't want to miss this, you know, A, B, or C, here's an opportunity for you to Zoom in for this hour, this hour and a half, whatever the class may be, to so that you're not completely behind when you return. And I think that has been you know, if we look at any sort of positive end of this at all, that's definitely one bright light that that sticks in the forefront for me. Yeah, I I think that's a that's a huge a great point to talk about because I do think that the way that we've all had to 
technologically advance this season in particular and setting up our studio spaces to be able to cater to webcams and zooming in and projector screens and microphones. I mean, you name it, every studio owner has tried to figure out a way to create a hybrid model of teaching for the dancers that physically can't come to the studio. Whatever their reasoning is, there could be a ton of different reasons. And I think that that's a huge draw. I don't think that's going to go away. And I, I think the, on the other side of it, on the teacher's side, if a teacher has to call out for whatever reason or they can't make it to class, it could be an, a very easy opportunity if the studio is already set up for a hybrid teaching model where they could just be like, all right, we're having a guest Zoom instructor tonight to fill in as a substitute. I think that can be something that will continue on for the future and especially with how we're all virtually learning these days. I mean, let's be real. Of course, it's not ideal to have your teacher on Zoom, but in the and the kids in class, but it's an option because how, how many times have we seen those posts that are like, I need a sub tonight. Who can do ballet, tap, and jazz from five right. to nine? You know, right. and if and some, get here and yeah, you know, and like be in your little city wherever you're at around the country. Like now, there's an open opportunity for people to be like, I don't live in North Carolina. I'm in New York City, but like I'd love to come zoom in for your kids today. And that's just such a cool enhancement to the classroom that would have never existed. I mean. We've always had the capability of doing this. I just don't think that we ever would have thought to do it because this pandemic made us go there. You know what I mean? So I hope that that sticks around for the dancers to be able to zoom in, like you said, Holly, and then also for teachers to zoom in and have guest instructors, you know, spontaneously at the studio virtually. If you're looking for a new dancewear brand to add to your collection, I would love to recommend checking out Work Dancewear. They offer affordable, high-quality designs for dancers of all ages. What I love so much about my Work Dancewear is they offer neutral colors that can be paired with anything, and their designs are trendy, current, and flattering. I wear my Work Dancewear joggers all the time. They're perfect for airport travel, or in the studio while I'm teaching, or even running errands around the city. Work Dancewear has so many options from leggings to sports bras to backpacks, and I would love for you to check them out now. Plus, you can get 20% off your order by using our exclusive podcast promo code, WORKDANCE20. That's W-E-R-K, WORKDANCE20. Head to their website or Instagram now to view their designs. Let's chat a little bit about nationals. I mean, recitals here, it happened, it was awesome. And we've had, a, we've had a great competition season. Hopefully everyone has. And there may be a lot of you who don't attend nationals. And maybe in particular this year, maybe it wasn't the right year to do a nationals. You know, I know that it's, it's a lot to ask for families. And, it, you know, usually nationals are like the grand finale where every studio shows up from wherever and travels into this one location. So it's like a ginormous regionals, right? So there's going to be a lot of people there. And I'm sure there are many studios or even parents at studios who might not be comfortable putting themselves in that environment just yet. So if you're skipping out on nationals that this year, don't worry. There's always one next year. But prepping for nationals this season, I mean, what what types of things should dancers be working on now? I mean, I I know I would love to talk about some critiques and and things like that from the judges end of regional to nationals so like let's go there as a judge what are you looking to see at nationals compared to what you've witnessed at regionals throughout this season i think one of the things that students have struggled with is and it all depends everyone has has had different protocols as far as wearing masks in classes and things like that and performing and different competitions have different protocols whether you're required to wear a mask and some soloists don't have to, but groups do, and that sort of thing. But one of the things, if you go into it expecting to be wearing a mask, if you can prepare yourself cardi cardiovascularly to support that output, because obviously when you're doing a two and a half minute solo and you are dancing your heart out on that stage with a mask on, that's very different from not having a mask on, as we all know, as teachers and judges alike. So I think you know, any sort of workout that you can do to support, whether it's running, whether it's 
HIIT training, you know, anything that can help develop your cardiovascular health can certainly support that. And that way, we don't see you heaving and out of breath. And, and, you know, we really want you to be able to put your best forward. And I think the other thing for me that I don't know, I know that as judges, a lot of us have talked about this is, is the need to have Alyssa Khan turns and Fuete turns in every single solo or dance <laughs> number. And I think for me <laughs> personally, and I'm sure all of you can agree, is that they don't, they're not necessary. I think I would love to see you continue to work on them and perfect them in your technique classes. They don't need to be on, in a competition dance for a competition dance to be successful. I think actually take them out. I actually have a soloist who I worked with this year and I only did a little bit of choreography for competition season. And at the end, I was kind of playing with her that, you know, is there something that you haven't done in this dance that you want to do? And, you know, I feel like I've put so much. She said, how about a fuete turn? And I usually am completely anti-fuete. I'm not doing it. <laughs> and she said, well, maybe just one or two into this, into that. And I said, all right, let me see it. Let's look at it. And I thought, okay, one turn. It's fine. She ended up doing two. And I watched it on stage and I said, you know what? It's time to take it out. For nationals, that's going oh. away because <laughs> you're beautiful. However, it goes against everything I believe in. Yep. Why did I let that <laughs> go on? So, you know, and, but as judges and as choreographers, we're constantly critiquing our work and how do I make it better? But those are two big things. It's cardiovascular and get rid of the fuetes and alisacon turns unless they're 100% perfect. <laughs> I love how those are like the complete, yes. like they don't agree, with not, they don't work with each other at all. But like, yes, both of those things. And like, if y'all don't have your fuete turns by nationals, hello, it's out. I mean, come on. You've had even two of them. regionals. We don't even want to yeah. see two of them. Nope, like, done. I should not see a poorly executed turn in second fuete turn if you are falling out of them, you still don't got it, girl. Like, you got it. You <laughs> and you're it huffing out. and puffing in a mask while you're trying to do these fuete turns. We can't, <laughs> none of these things work together. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so to piggyback off of that, I feel like the last competition that I judged a couple weekends ago, I was trying to give the choreographer a few notes and just saying, hey, you know, it's okay to edit. Like editing your routines is important. And I think sometimes having choreographed lots of competition routines, you get so stuck in like wanting it to be like what you originally thought and what you originally wanted. But understanding that editing has to happen and listening to your judges critiques, if they're saying like, hey, this is really full of tricks, like I want to see like more movement quality, like maybe don't change up the whole routine, but find ways where you can have more transitions that are actually movement and actually dancing. So I just think never underestimate the power of a, a routine that is edited properly and that is cleaned properly. I think heading into nationals, kind of going back into like getting stuck with the same choreographer, I think studios can really improve their preparation for nationals if they bring in other teachers or other guests to put eyes on their dance, right? As if I'm the teacher that has choreographed the piece and I'm the one that's worked on it all year, I'm going to see the same things over and over again. But if I pull in other faculty members from the studio, they're going to see things I may never, my, I may never have seen. And I think another cool thing is you could even bring in like an alumni of the studio that's back home for the summer. Like they would love to come in and give notes on your piece, having been there and having experienced that. So I think just make sure you're cleaning the dance really well, like paying attention to the details, taking out the things that need to be taken out, and just getting fresh eyes on the choreography before it goes to your big nationals event. And I think in addition to that is remembering what whatever the piece is, not every piece has a story, but at least has a theme. So staying true to whatever that is, whatever the choreographer's intention is, keeping that in the forefront of your mind, because it's so easy when you've got a mask and you've got all of these other things surrounding us with a pandemic, it's easy to lose sight of why am I doing this dance? What does this mean to me? And I think sometimes that's when we lose our focus. And I often make the comment that dancers, they lose the energy behind their eyes where they start looking around. Is that grandma in the audience right. or who's this? You know, where, where is that energy behind your eyes and where is your focus so that you can stay in it? What does this mean to me? And why am I doing this? Versus just going through the motions. And I think just remembering why I'm here, what does this mean to me? And what does it mean to the choreographer? Staying true to that is so important. Yeah. And the eyes, I mean, I'm not judging this season, I'm directing, but that also gives me a unique opportunity 
to just watch and not say anything and not have to, you know, expend my energy speaking and thinking while I'm watching. So that's one of the main things that I've seen is you can tell who has rehearsed extensively in a mask, not only because they're not huffing and puffing, and and truly we've had so many poor children almost throw up backstage or actually throw up because they ha- it's clear that they have not trained in the mask. So um, number one, that's another reason to you know train in your mask cardiovascularly. But two, who has been dancing with the mask and has been working on their facial expressions? Because I can see it. I can see your whole face, even though you have a mask on. And if your face is doing something, I can tell. If your face is not doing something, I can also tell. And it's even it's going to be even more interesting as we head into the next couple months where mask mandates may be lifted. And, you know, some of these dancers who have been dancing in masks all season are now all of a sudden going to have no mask on. And is their face going to continue right. to do nothing? Right. Probably, because that's, that's, that's been a whole it's been a whole year of masks. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do think that that's huge. And then, Rachel, I love the way you speak about editing a dance. Yeah, that's such a nice way to put it. <laughs> well, because think, I mean, think about a songwriter, an artist, a book writer, anybody who does any kind of creative thing. They don't just put out the first thing that they do. Right? We don't even do that. We have like seven or eight titles for every podcast yeah. and they're, none of them are ever good. But <laughs> <laughs> eventually we get to a good one, but like you have to pick and choose and it's, it's never your first take, you know, that's going to be the best one. So I think that's such a great way of describing what you need to do as we head towards nationals. Yeah. And like, I mean, for nationals, it needs to be clean. It needs to be clean. <laughs> Like, Every single one of us just like uh, shook our head yes, like, duh. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you can just tell the, da- the the groups that understand like how to dance together as a unit and who have actually been cleaned. Or I'm even in the back of my mind watching some pieces going, if only this was clean. If right. only, you know. Right. You see the potential. that's what they're missing. Exactly. Right? And there's, for me, there's there's no excuse by the time we get to nationals. Like absolutely zero. You can throw any excuse you think that's you know, you want at me, it's not gonna, it's not gonna fly. Because how many regionals did you go to? How many judges critiques have you been to? How long have you been doing this choreography? Probably since choreography camp last August, regardless if you've been on zoom or in studio, it's still not a good enough excuse for me to for you to go on stage at nationals knowing that this is this is the the final time you're going to do it. And it needs to be at its highest quality. Um, So if you're not taking the time to rehearse, then What's the point? I mean, I'm going to, as a judge, I'm going to be hard at nationals, way harder than I am in February at a regionals. I'm a little bit more relaxed in February. I'm a little more understanding of the sloppy turn section or whatever. But if even in May, like when we get to regionals in May, I know everybody, you know, goes to competitions on a different schedule. Some start late. Some don't even start going until April or whatever it is, but still to me, like this is the end of regionals. So things better look pretty good. So that's an important thing to remember. Like that's my expectation when I go to nationals is this better be the best of the best. And the other thing that I think is important to mention, like that goes hand in hand with what you mentioned, Rachel, about editing is let's say, you know, you said you, you gave the suggestion to the choreographer, like I'd love more movement quality. This is a little trick heavy, you know, at regionals. You don't know, as teachers and dancers and choreographers and dancers, you don't know who's going to be behind that table at at nationals. It might be one of your regional judges who gave you that feedback of, you need to edit this down, and you didn't. And, And then it's still sloppy on top of it. You know, then it's like, you just don't know who's going to be there. You have to make sure that you, you don't have to take every single correction. You know, you might not agree with every single thing a judge says. But it's not a bad idea to, you know, just kind of try it out or, you know, oh, oh, that judge at, at whatever event said that I'm, I need to edit this. I'm going to that nationals. Okay, maybe I should just take this a little bit, you know, maybe I should actually do what this judge said, give it a try, you never know. I mean, it, it, it's important, I think. And the judges critiques are, are there to help you to help enhance your dance. That's it's a part of cleaning. It's that other eye that you need on your routine that you were mentioning, Rachel. So listen to your critiques. Make sure it's clean. Those are those are my tips for nationals. We're not we're not just talking for our health up there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's July. Nationals are over. We have done the nationals. We have said goodbye to the 2021 season. 
We're headed into the 2022 season. And hopefully this year we'll have a lot of, you know, choreography intensives and summer training and everything in person. So what are y'all's suggestions for dancers after nationals? You know, are you are you taking a break? Are you going to to a training, you know, intensive? What are what are our best options for getting to be our best for next season? I think let's circle back to something you said in the beginning, Leslie, about feeling burnt out at the end of a dance season. And I think after recital or nationals or whatever the culmination of the end of your season is, I think it's good for a dancer to take a break. I think it's good for a dancer to have a week or two or three or whatever they need to like recover and to just, you know, breathe and have a break and not think about choreography or any of the any of those things. And I think that's really, really healthy for the dancer physically and mentally to do. But I, on the other hand, I do not think that it is a smart idea to take a break the whole summer. I think that obviously continuing training, if you are a competitive dancer, you have to continue training. And I think one one thing you can do is, other than taking your intensives or classes or summer programs or whatever you're doing, is to develop some sort of conditioning program for yourself over the summer. And I think a lot of studios are really partnering with their students and hopefully giving them some sort of like expectation of conditioning plan that they they want them to do over the summer and for the dancers just to take ownership of that. And especially like we were mentioning earlier, coming off of a year of wearing masks and our, you know, cardiovascular systems like being tested in a way they never have been, just to continue to to work on that stamina and to build that over the summer, I think is really important to to rest, but don't rest too much and then just make sure you're continuing to um to condition well. I fully agree, Rachel, and I think, you know, you said it perfectly when you said circle back. And what came to my mind when you said circle back was how important it is to go back to basics. Some students might think, oh, I would never take, you know, I've been taking dance all my life. I would never take a beginner ballet class. Wait a second, because we could always get something out of any level class. And it's so important to go back. Even if, I mean, I've gone in as a teacher and taking class with seven-year-olds just because I just wanted a bar, you know? I mean, <laughs> let me just come in and take your class because I have time to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to squeeze in the back here. And I think it's wonderful to to know and understand that these basics are important no matter what level you're at. And also it helps with conditioning. You know, when you're looking at conditioning programs, whether it's Pilates or cardiovascular work or bar classes, whatever it might be for you and your studio and what might be recommended, finding something. But going back to the basics is truly important. And when you say circle back, that's the first thing that came to my mind, for sure. A rest is so important. And again, just not for too long, because I think I've had students who have taken the summer off and not done things, and they come back with the expectation of being where they left off. And unfortunately, for the students that have been dancing all summer or have been training, they, you know, they surpass them. And it certainly shows who has been working over the summer and who hasn't. So I think it's really important if you want to dance competitively and if you want to take dance into your future, it's really important to continue your training throughout the summer. I think another thing too, you know, while you are taking your break, because yes, of course, please take a break, go on a vacation, sit at the pool, you know, but there's so much content out there that's free and available, you know, get on YouTube, watch some dance history, you know, watch Fosse Verdon if you're probably 16 or 17. Maybe don't watch it if you're 10. You know, <laughs> do some research and educate yourself on things that maybe you don't get in your studio. And teachers, that can be a resource that you can help provide too, because it can be overwhelming to, you don't know what you don't know, you know, as a student. So it is sort of up to us too, to sort of give, give a little bit of resource in terms of things to watch, things to read, and things to learn about, because just as we have to educate our bodies to do amazing things, we have to educate our minds to know about amazing things. A lot of that I was just thinking is listening to the IDA podcasts. I mean, another plug here, but going back, one of the things that I had said, and I hopped on one of the many dance social media forums asking about as a judge, hip hop is not an expertise of mine. And I want to advance myself as a judge to make sure that I am providing feedback that is current that is usable and not just plie. Right. <laughs> and I think, you know, one of the things that Courtney, you and Leslie both had said is, is listen to this podcast. And I forget what number, I don't know if you have it in front of you, 
to reference, but I listened to that and it was fantastic. And one of the one of your guests on that podcast is soon offering within the next week or two offering an online class for teachers and judges. And I plan on signing up because I want that. And that, you know, not only dancers furthering your education and, you know, teachers, adjudicators alike, it's so important that we are willing to continue to learn and step back and say, you know what, I'm not perfect in every single area. And I don't, don't claim to be, but I want to learn and I want to continue to be a student. So how can I get better? And I think finding those places, like you said, Leslie, you know, recommendations for, for kids to watch, whether it's, you know, singing in the rain or West Side Story or Fosse Verd, whatever it might be, you know, encouraging them to listen to the IDA podcast, whatever the, those things might be for you. And I, I actually, I signed up for, that's, uh, Holly's talking about John Comics Barella's Understanding Hip Hop uh, class that he's offering via Zoom, I think in a couple weeks. And I signed up myself as well, because I'm saying plie too, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and we got to get better at this. John was on our hip hop episode uh, number 56. If you don't, if you haven't listened to it yet, he's a wealth of information. And I can't wait to take this workshop. And it's affordable. It's going to be chock full of information. I already know it. So, you know, teachers, this is a time for you to educate yourself too. And I think going off of that, think of that as in the dancer for the dancer's mind, you know, if you know that you're not the best tapper, or you know that you're not the best hip hopper, like maybe take an extra couple of classes in the style that you are not so great at and improve on like your week style in the summer. That could be another really a good thing for a dancer to focus on during their summer training. Yeah, there, as you were saying that, and I'm really glad that you, you mentioned that Holly about not only should the dancers be training, but the teachers can be continuing to further their education as well. If there are classes offered at a nationals event that you're attending with your students, pop into the class and take someone else's class or at least sit in and watch and observe and learn something new, especially in a style maybe that isn't your specialty. I know that there's usually like the dance teacher summit for for teachers over the summertime and there's a lot of different dance seminars and the dance retreats that a lot of a lot of different companies offer. And I'm not sure if those are physically going to be available this summer, maybe, hopefully. But something that a, a studio actually, I almost went in and, and did this for a studio, which is a cool idea I really thought was different, was a studio reached out to me before and every summer they set a week aside and it's kind of teacher training before the season starts for their faculty at their studio. And they bring in guests that are outside of their faculty to bring in just something fresh and and say, all right, what are your... Me, Courtney Ortiz, what progressions would I do for ages three to five, ages six to eight, ages nine to 11, whatever, in jazz class? And I show them what it would be. I would come prepared with like my class material and they would just kind of watch and observe and like learn something new. Like, oh, I wouldn't have done the pot of like that or that weight transfer. Oh, that's different than what I'm used to doing. And just just a new way to look at it. And that could be applied to all different genres. And then the teachers take that information and they kind of build off of it in their own way and, and use that as inspiration when they're figuring out their class formats for the upcoming season. So I thought that was really unique and and different and yeah. really cool for a studio to, you know, pay for teachers to come in to teach the teachers, essentially. Yeah. You know? So that can and be just very idea. um very generous. Yeah. Like I I like that because I feel like so sometimes people in or studio owners and teachers even can get a little not defensive, but just like, this is what I do. This is what we do. And that's it. Mm -hmm. But like to be able to share knowledge and welcome the knowledge without thinking that, oh, they're going to take my job or, oh, somebody's going to get hired over right. me. Like, I feel like that energy could be there sometimes, right. but this sounds like just a very nice give and take kind of opportunity. Yeah. And going back to like the dancer side of things and like the training for dancers, I know we like some, we briefly talked about different summer opportunities. But I think summer intensives are, are are really important. It's actually something that I never grew up doing ever. I never went to a legitimate summer intensive, one that you can put on your resume, because you can put the legitimate ones on your resume. You know, if it's a ballet summer intensive, a contemporary summer intensive, and sometimes those are like sleepover style intensive. So again, unsure if they're happening this year or not, or if they're doing the virtual route. But you know, once they do come back, if they are coming back next season, I think that they're worth exploring for dancers who are looking to take dance to the, 
you know, as a career or, you know, continuing to elevate their training. Because I feel like I missed out on training opportunities and connections and just something outside of my studio. Like I know a lot of studios will bring in master teachers for their own intensives, but you're still in your safe place. You're still with your friends. You're still, you know, in your dance studio. And it, it is a summer intensive is like a whole different world because you're usually on your own at sleepaway camp, dancing 24 seven, making so many new friends and, you know, opening that. I think, I think that's just really important to, you know, if you just book to a two week summer intensive, that's going to be a resume builder and also an enhancement to your training and a new experience for you as a dancer. And then you take your vacation after that. Like, you know, I think that's great because a lot of dancers might just like after recital, that's it. I'm on vacation all summer. And like we said, you can't really forget about your training or you're going to come back and you're going to be playing catch up by the time fall hits. And something that's kind of new, at least new since I was a competition kid to the summer aspect of training is before next season even starts at a lot of studios, choreography camp happens. And that is like a whole new thing that I don't even know what that is because I never in my life did that growing up. We would learn our dances throughout the year. Actually, we didn't even start our dances after the holidays. And that is so not how it is anymore. (laughs) <laughs> like da- like studios will set an entire week and they will literally teach every dance of the season in a week how do the kids do it i don't need i it's like how do the teachers do it how do, that's what i want to seriously know. Right. how do the teachers do it <laughs> i would be so stressed you couldn't I, I couldn't do it i really couldn't how does your brain create all that that quick um <laughs> so what what should like dancers be prepping you know, if, if they take off for a few weeks or they're not going to summer class or they didn't go to an intensive and then they're just thrown in a choreography camp. I mean, like we said, conditioning is super important, but any advice for the dancers going into those choreo camps? Because they're definitely intense. They are. They are intense. <laughs> I have been a part of a few of those over my time being a company or competition team director and uh, it is stressful on the teachers to have all that choreography and content ready. But I think one thing we really stress for our students was to, if you have a phone or a friend with a phone, to take a lot of videos at the end. Or we always had like a row of like phones set up to like film yourself so that you go home that night and you practice and you come back the next day ready to learn more, ready to complete your piece. I've had dancers come in with like notebooks, like taking notes so that they I think that they are always, there was a little bit of like fear sometimes, like, oh my gosh, if I don't come back in, like knowing my choreography that I just learned, like I'm going to get in trouble or they knew that like time was precious, right? And I, if we, in the professional world, like time is money and you got to get it done when you got to get it done. And so I think just that would be my biggest thing. Just make sure that you're practicing at home. Like you're not like going to your choreography session and you're going to learn it and you're going to come back the next day being like, what was on count eight? Like, I don't remember. It just isn't going to, it's not going to go well. And then my other bit of advice is if you have that, that period of time in the summer where you're doing like a crazy week of choreography or a camp or something that you have to continue to keep your mind fresh and continue to rehearse before you start like your, your consistent rehearsals in the fall, because the same thing is going to happen. Like the teacher is going to want to like start cleaning. That was always me. I'm like, you have to know your accounts. You have to know the choreography. It doesn't have to be perfect, but like you have to know it in your brain. So I think that was just always what I stressed with my with my students and and just like in the summer, hydrate. You have to like drink a lot of water and maybe (laughs) also don't have your sleepover with your dance friends during those weeks. Yeah, and don't stay up till like wee hours in the morning and you're coming in super tired the next day. Right to your to your nine a.m. rehearsal. Yeah, for real. That would be those would be my tips. I was just going to add that, Rachel, is is looking at what are you eating, you know, as you're going into this, because again, sleepovers, candy, you know, staying up until 3 a.m. isn't going to cut it if you're starting at 7 a.m. the next morning and going all day. So, you know, your, your brain fuel because you need to be fresh and you need to get a good night's sleep so that you can function properly and you can absorb the choreography. I was never one of those people that could absorb choreography very quickly. And I was always like, wait, wait, slow down, (laughs) slow down, wait, take me back. So I think for me, I know that personally, that's always been really important is making sure that, you know, I've had my morning coffee, 
I've had, you know, pr- proper sleep. I've had the right diet to support my healthy functioning. And I think that's super important. And the other key thing that you mentioned, Rachel, that is crucial is doing your homework that you can't expect to just show up at the studio and everything just gets handed to you. You have to do the work as well. And there's so many students that walk in and think, well, no, tell me, tell me what it was that we did last time. Well, that's your job as a dancer to be able to come in knowing where you're supposed to be and knowing what's next or knowing where you are so you can learn what's next. So that's really important is don't expect it to be handed to you, but do that work at home. I used to tell some of my, even my soloists, like, it's not my job to know your dance. This is your dance. <laughs> yeah, It's yours now. I gave it to you. Now it's yours. <laughs> what was it? Because I don't know anymore. Yep. Or like, I'm just thinking 100%. like, as you were saying, Rachel, like propping up the phones at the front, like, yeah. y'all. All the kids listening, we didn't have that when we were growing up. We didn't have a phone. I didn't even have a digital camera. We had like a disposable (laughs) camera. (laughs) Yes. Like we couldn't like, I think that because of this easy access of like, I have my phone at my hip at all times and it's always a camera and it's always a like video recorder that I feel like that dancers may rely on that too much sometimes where they're like, oh, I'll just film it. And and like, I'm that way too. Like I have to film anything yeah. I choreograph or I will forget it. And totally. I need to get reference back and watch it like as a choreographer. But I think that as a student, as a learning in the classroom from someone else, I have like picture memory. If they taught it properly and they gave me counts, I need a count, y'all, you know, I need a count. Mm-hmm. But like if they give mm-hmm. me counts, I will always remember the first version of something. And right. I was always that dancer the next day in rehearsal that people would come to be and come to me and be like, what was that count? What was what right. happened on that count? Or what was this? And I remember my teachers coming in and just sitting in a chair with their arms crossed, so mad watching us try to figure out what was next <laughs> as a group. So mad. Yeah. You know, so because we didn't have a video to reference. We were literally just trying right. to like pick our brain like, oh, what was that section? She just changed. I cannot remember it. Like what? Who crosses in front of who for this transition? Like. What's right. going on, you know? So, oh, God. It's always a train wreck with the crossing. Like, down. what is the, what is the rule? Is it da- stage right crosses downstage or stage left? Oh, I, that's, that's why rule. it's a disaster because nobody knows the rule. There is a rule, but we don't know it. I, I, I know. So Season funny. three, we'll let you know. Somebody help us. Yeah. Left over right. Ooh, that would be a good episode. Stage direction. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, yes. Transitions. That would be. Yep. Yeah, Rachel, you're always throwing the good episode topics out. I like it. She's emailed me come, a bunch. Yeah, I come I come back from like, I don't know, they just hit me at random times or after a competition. I'm like, oh, we need to talk about this on the podcast or I want to hear about it, you know, right. as a listener. But even to like go off of that, I think another thing coming from having choreographed many a competition number in those amount of times, I know that sometimes I would set choreography and have, you know, three or four consecutive days of setting choreography and then like wake up in the middle of the night going like, ooh, I want to try this instead or like this didn't work in my brain. So I think another tip for dancers is like come back, like being rehearsed, but like also like be ready if something changes right away because a choreographer might like not love how something worked that next day and they might be looking at their notes and doing their homework and come back and say, hey, like I want to try like you guys doing this transition or doing this totally different um phrase of movement instead so you have to come back not going but that's not what i did the other day like you know kind of nobody wants to hear that (laughs) nobody wants to hear that and we want to we want to come with with showing that like the dancers need to come showing that they're flexible too you know um they're flexible to try new things um even if they just learned a new piece of choreography yeah well it was like you were saying rachel i mean if we're asking people to edit choreography the dancers have to be amenable to taking those changes. And that goes even, like you said, until, you know, choreography season at the very beginning, you know, so that's, that's a great tip for dancers, period, is just, yes, we want you, we want you to do both things. We want you to be perfect every time with the, what, the learn it, and then that's what it is. But we it's also want you to ask. No, <laughs> then you have to change it at a moment's notice with no video. And never tell us we're wrong. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's the worst when like, so you funny. know, like, the teacher taught this is okay i'm this dancer when i'm when i'm in the classroom so I, like i just said i will remember the first way you taught it to me so then i know what it is in my head day 2 comes around teachers demonstrating what they want it to be but they're like stepping with the wrong foot on the right. wrong count 
Or they're using yeah. like the left arm instead of the right arm. And I'm that like student in the corner, like, that's not what it is. That's right, not what right. it is. That's you not stepped right. on count three last time and not four. Which one do and, you like, want? That's why it's not working. <laughs> and I don't want to be the person that's like, you're doing it wrong, you know, to the teacher. <laughs> which one, which version do you want? I mean, I've I've also experienced that as the choreographer too, yes. where I've accidentally demonstrated the wrong count or the wrong foot because your brain is doing a million things at, at a time. And there's like one smart dancer that's like, actually you did it two different ways which version do you want and i'm like thank you for that like i appreciate that but not every teacher (laughs) is gonna appreciate that someone's gonna be like "Mm, you need to put your hand down and figure it out you know (laughs) yes i appreciate it as long as it's it's respectfully delivered as you just said last time you said it this way this time you're doing it this way which one would you prefer i feel like i've seen people get offended like oh yeah at, at, at those types of it depends on who it is, you know, the choreographer. Sure. It depends. Yeah. You're walking a True. line to ask that type of question. Mm-hmm. I, I've <laughs> even had like young kids do that to me because I and, and they know they know that Miss Leslie lies sometimes like unintentionally <laughs> and not with like a mean spirit. But like sometimes I just lie. <laughs> They're like, Miss Leslie, did you just lie about that? I'm like, did I? Probably. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> it was the right foot. <laughs> <laughs> well... I'm sure we're all very much looking forward to next season. I know that it's going to, the summer's going to come and go so quick, sadly. I mean, I hope it doesn't. I hope we all get a chance to relax and refresh and enjoy our dances one final time at recital or competition. And then on to the next season. Season 2022 is right around the corner. And we're going to be heading back into the studio this upcoming fall in September or maybe sometimes August for some dancers. So what are some of the goals for your dancers and students walking into this next season that might might be a little different than your goals from last year? I think finding what that new normal is is going to be really important and walking in with expectations or Specific expectations can often be a huge mistake. So I think remembering that, hey, you know, I really want to see this happen or I'm really hoping for this to happen, but having specific expectations are going to lead to disappointment. So think, you know, being open because this has been an upside down year for everyone and dancer, teacher, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, uncle alike, you know. So I think walking in with specific expectations that I think those need to be left at the door to a degree. Obviously, you want to grow and you want to learn and you want to get stronger. How that's done may look different. You know, are we going to be required to wear masks again all next season? We don't know what that looks like 100% yet, sadly. We'd like to hope we know what it's going to look like. But I think being careful with our expectations is going to be really important. Yeah, I'm in 100% agreement. The first thing I thought of is you just have to continue this open mind that we've had through this, I don't know, last couple of seasons dealing with like, what is the new normal, Holly? I 100% agree. And I also just think we can can just continue to, for dancers to set goals for themselves. Just because things are different, we should still be striving to get better and improve and set goals. And I think one thing that could be really helpful is I know it's kind of trendy to like think of a word that is like your word for the year. So maybe like dancers could think of a critique or two that like you continue to hear over and over. And that could be like, this year, I'm really going to work on, you know, my performance quality, whether it's like, okay, now we don't have the mask anymore. Hopefully, you know, (laughs) we'll see what happens. But if like the masks go away, and like, we know that our performance quality has dropped, maybe it's like, my goal this year is to like, bring my performance quality and like really grow in my artistry since that was hard for me last year and like trying to dance with the masks or some other technical thing. I think making, you know, one goal and maybe it's a goal that will take all year. Maybe it's a goal that you can set a new one at the turn when competition season starts. So I think always like goal setting, but yes, keeping that open mind is so important these days for sure. We hope you enjoyed our final episode of season two on making the impact. Shout out to our guests, Holly and Rachel. You can follow them on social media. Holly at HollCall77 and Rachel at RachGentry. Have you followed Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast yet? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. 
Stay tuned for some special re-releases of our favorite episodes during our summer hiatus. If you are one of the lucky dancers who is heading to a Nationals event this summer and would like one final fresh set of eyes to critique your dance before you hit the stage, then you should definitely check out our service, IDA's Online Judges Critiques. An IDA judge will go through and critique your routine from beginning to end with the option to add on our best-selling feature, post-critique additional feedback. You'll receive 10 minutes of additional feedback where your judge will go back through your dance and start and stop your video so they can go into even more detail and help take your performance to the next level. You can request a judge who specializes in your submitted dance style and you will receive your critique back to you within four business days. Online critiques start at only $35 and are a great way to prep for your next performance. Visit our website now to learn more and submit your dance at impactdanceadjudicators.com slash online critiques. Stay tuned. Coming up right after this episode is our season two wrap up with Courtney and Leslie. Thanks so much for tuning in all season long on Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast. Until next time, keep dancing. <laughs>